Well, hello and welcome to episode number 474 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos and in this week's show we've got some crinkly cargo planes, x-ray pets, a family flying and just for Matt some wine-derived aircraft fuel. In the military news this week we've got a solar spy plane, a super Saab and some in-flight refueling. But before all that, Matt's been enjoying the high life with his own personal air chauffeur, and we're going to have some more on that later. But joining me this week, he's not in the studio. No, he's not. He's somewhere far, far, far away. It is, of course, our US correspondent, Matt Smith. Hello. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Hi. You... Oh, there he is. There he is. He's there. Don't panic. Weird. This is weird. This is sorry. There's a lot of buttons to press when you're doing it, not from the studio. <laughs> a lot of buttons. Because it looks a lot brighter where you are. It's pitch black outside here, Matt. Yeah. yeah. What, why is it? Why is it so bright where you are, Matt? Where are you? Uh, I'm not in Bungie. Oh, that's why. It's all gone somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I've got. I, I'm, I might have gone to um, the US of A, and I might be sat next to. A certain oh. pilot, podcasting Hello. legend. <laughs> this is—you should see this setup. It's actually taking both of us to operate the studio remotely, uh, with both of us working cameras and whatnot. Hello, team. <laughs> it's good to see everyone. And thanks, uh, thanks for uh, hosting uh, Young Master Smith this week on Monday. Oh, you've had some uh, interesting adventures, haven't you? Yep. We're going to get into that a little bit later, but. Uh, trying not to make Matt's entire vacation about aviation, although I guess it is how we all are linked, but, uh, I mean, I mean, I'm grateful for that. So <laughs> I don't know. Have you done anything that's non non aviation? We're going to go to a brewery, we're going to a brewery after this, which I'm very, very excited about. Oh, but it, it is a pilot owned brewery. Oh, so. yeah. oh you see <laughs> ruined. Anyway, that's all our audience cares about is all yeah. things aviation. Yeah, so. sure. We've done a lot. Of, we've, We've 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 been to, uh, gone and have my first ever breakfast at the Waffle House, for example. That's quite cool. Um, and uh, we went to a proper barbecue place yesterday, oh, yeah. didn't we? Which was out of this world. I, well, I've never had ribs like it. It's ridiculous. North Carolina barbecue. Yeah, utterly oh, ridiculous. Word. Sounds yeah. amazing. Yeah, I'm having a horrible time. Yeah. Good, yeah. good. Glad to hear it. <laughs> you have been missed this week, Matt. I'm not going to lie. The uh, my my kitchen's been very quiet without you. Anyway, <laughs> he's back with us this week, as always, our aficionado of all things BA and C1A. It's, of course, Neville Bounds. Yes, uh, back again. No flying this week, uh, unfortunately, but uh, lots of driving and lots of uh, London activity. Uh, Matt even might have a picture of uh, one of the exhibitions that I was doing uh, this week. Um, and um, no, it's been a very, very full on week, actually. It's been really, really hectic, uh, but enjoyable. Uh, I'm also glad it's the end of the week as well. It's been one of those um, one of those weeks which has been early starts and late nights. And yeah, you've been feeling under the weather, Neb, so I'm, I'm quite surprised you're as yes. sprightly as you are. Bit of bit of COVID business last week, but uh, we're okay now. But um, yes, um, I thought one of our mats was going to show you the picture of uh, our our exhibition booth that we had at the XL. I'm on it. Sorry. Um, sorry. Um, that's all right. I mean, do, you know, I know you're a long way away, mate, but do, do, do. <laughs> it's the satellite delay, I'm afraid. Is that 
Like, Actually, you know, Nev, on that note, while Matt's finding that picture, how mm. do you find the Excel Center? Because I've done I've done a number of exhibitions there in my time as a as you know exhibition person. I always found the Excel quite accommodating. Well, it is. Unfortunately, they've got some road closures and some entrance closures at the moment. So actually trying to get into the right place is extremely challenging. But uh, yes, as you can see with our foam hands there. Um, but uh, no, it was a good, uh, very busy show. Um, because we had a, the train strike on the first day, which didn't help matters. But uh, no, it was actually quite busy. But uh, glad to be with you all tonight. Excellent. Good to see you. And also joining us uh, tonight as well uh, is uh, our one of our very busy working production team members it is of course uh, nick codling hello nick good evening hello nice to be back and uh, good to see everybody we've got a, a full compliment on tonight that's quite yeah. unusual it's, it's good to see oh, everyone right. we are still one missing bless we haven't got executive producer with us today true, uh, true. john's not in our ear this evening no. I think that might have been a technical step too far even for me to be fair <laughs> <laughs> now that i'd love to have seen <laughs> but but we have at the last, very last minute, literally before Matt hit the live button this evening, managed to secure a very high-profile guest to join us on the show tonight. He's uh, one of the greatest pilots of the Airbus aircraft. It is, of course, Andy Wilson. Uh, <clears throat> talking about me, great pilot. <laughs> we got the wrong, got the wrong man. Hello, all. I'm, I don't feel like a substitute tonight. There's loads of us. I know, but we have got some Airbus stories, Andy, which is oh, that's all right. Was, um, Could you elevate us, Andy? You know, you know, you know, I like getting the manuals out and boring the life out of you. <laughs> that, how, how's life, Andy? How's things uh, in the airline world? Good, good. Um, I've done some flying this week, which is rare. Went down to Kos, one of the Greek islands, yesterday, but uh, spent most of my time sat behind a desk now, which is lovely. Oh. How the other half live, eh? Yeah. You have to, you'll have to take up simming from home. You have to buy yourself some sim equipment, Andy. I'm all right. If I, if the urge comes, then I'll just ring up and go flying. <laughs> but I am going to say a quick thank you to uh, one of our listeners who Armando knows very well and all the team knows very well, John Jester, uh, who sent me some great pictures today um, via our social media. And the picture, one of them, is on the screen behind me here. John was... Uh, having a little get-together in the skies with uh, an American Airlines Dreamliner. And uh, John very kindly sent these over to me this afternoon. And, uh, yeah, I popped it on the green screen. So thanks for that, John. Good to spit uh, hear from you this afternoon. So uh, nice to uh, have a different picture on the screen behind me for a change. That's like something that never gets old. When, when you're flying in a 747 and a Dreamliner, who looks little, by the way, standing next to you, um, with a thousand foot separation, you can get this kind of quality picture on probably his phone. Yeah. Uh, you know, it has to be close. That's pretty cool. That never gets old to me, flying close to other airplanes. Not too close. So we've got loads of stuff to get through tonight on the show, but we're going to say a quick hello to everyone who's joined us in the live YouTube chat room this evening, starting off with Mazus, our local listener, Mazus. Uh, good to see you in there. Richard Adams is in there as well. Hobby Time, hello to you. Captain Cruz is in there. Lee Davies is also joining us this evening. We've got Jan is also in there. Good to see you, Jan. Um, let me scroll down. Let me make sure I don't miss one. Shorty is also in there. Good to see you, Shorty. 
Logan Lynch, hello to you as well. Great to see you in the chat room this week. Sturman, uh, another one of our local listeners. Sturman, hello to you as well. Um, let me scroll down, make sure I don't miss anyone out. Just scrolling down. Main man, Micah, hello to you, Micah. Good to see you as well. Uh, we've got Bill. Bill's joined us as well. Good to see you in there. Captain Cruz, who else have I got in here? Sam Bays. Hello to Sam. Name I can't remember seeing Sam in the chat room before. Um, we've got uh, Armando wielding his blue spanner of doom as well uh, to keep uh, keep everything sane in the chat room. Don't forget, you're, you're listening to us as an audio podcast. We are on YouTube. Search for our page, Plain Talking UK. And don't forget to click that bell and uh, subscribe to our channel. Uh, so we've got loads to get through tonight, uh, including some uh, great uh, military stories as well. Nev looks happy. Uh, so if all the team's ready. Ready? Yeah. Let's go. And the first story comes to us this week from airlinelive.net. And uh, I think we covered a story similar to this a few weeks back, and it seems to be a regular occurrence now, especially with the 7.6. This is uh, a DHL Boeing 7.6.7 damaged in a hard landing in Beirut. Uh, On the 18th of September, a DHL International Boeing 7.6.7 received substantial damage to its upper fuselage stemming from a hard landing at Beirut International Airport in Lebanon. The 767-300 freighter with registration Alpha 9 Charlie Delta Hotel Alpha Bravo was operating flight uh, ES-160 from Bahrain to Beirut. However, the 767F suffered a hard landing in Beirut. As a result, the crew received minor injuries and this aircraft sustained substantial damage. The 767 came to a stop, taxied to its parking stand, and the status of the involved aircraft remains unknown until Boeing responds with an answer as to whether the freighter should be repaired or written off. An Accident Investigation Commission has been informed to determine the probable cause of the incident. And that was not the only thing that's happened as well in the last few days. We've also had uh, this week a FedEx uh, aircraft that landed uh, with no gear. Uh, that happened this week in Tennessee, uh, airport in Tennessee. The FedEx aircraft skidded off the runway during a crash landing at a Tennessee airport when its landing gear did not come down. But no one was injured, officials said. Public safety agencies rushed to the Chattanooga Regional Airport late Wednesday after reports that the FedEx 757 had experienced a landing gear failure shortly after takeoff. The Chattanooga Fire Department said in a tweet, the aircraft, which had three crew members on board, had circled, then made its final descent and came to rest beyond the runway in a safety area. Uh, Video posted uh, by Hamilton County EMS showed sparks flying when the plane touched down, but officials said there was no fire, only smoke from the engines. Great work by the pilot and airport personnel as well, he said. All all responding agencies for their coordinated efforts, the fire department tweeted. A FedEx spokesperson told news outlets that the flight from Chattanooga to Memphis experienced an issue right after taking off. The NTSB said it was investigating the gear-up landing at the airport 
and the Chattanooga airport closed its primary runway due to the crash landing. And some said flight times could be affected by um, this incident. Uh, so the first one, obviously, with the DHL, we saw something like this. I think it was, was it United Airlines we had a few weeks ago, guys? I can't remember. Yep. And uh, there's also a first choice back in 2010 had a similar bit of damage at Bristol. But this, uh, I think I looked this one up, and this was a fairly old Boeing conversion, uh, converted freighter, the 76. So I, I think this is going to be written. Yeah, this was, Captain Cruz says this, uh, this particular aircraft was a prior American Airlines airplane. Andy, do you think these kinds of creases, do you think this is happening on the touchdown, on the mains, or when they let the nose down? Well, I'm thinking it, it, it it's more likely when the nose comes down. I think so, too. And I don't know if they're running out of elevator authority at certain speeds and it's causing the nose to really slam down. That's my initial thought. Yeah, because you think companies like DHL United would work out the center of gravity where it's not too nose heavy or something like that. But I know, yeah. you know, my, my experience, I'm fairly new to jets, but you really do have to fly it. You have to fly the nose down. You can't just let it come down like a turboprop or anything. It, I mean, that's that's sort of my experience with the corporate jets as as you're flying it. And we we joke around, you fly it all the way to the gate, but but you really do have to fly the nose down to the runway. Yes, yeah, it's, it's the same with uh, all jets, really. You have to control the nose all the way down to touchdown because sometimes, depending on the conditions, normally with spoiler deployment, the nose will actually start to rise again. Right, right. So you, do, you do have to pu push it down. But then again, in some cases, it may just start dropping, so you've got to arrest that because you don't want to damage the aircraft, as we've seen in these cases. So the yeah. FedEx one with the landing gear, what what are your thoughts on that, Armando? Uh, so FedEx, the FedEx one's interesting, and I want to know more about it because Chattanooga is, is pretty close to Memphis. Uh, I don't know if that is a standard FedEx route for a 757 or if they were perhaps doing a reposition um, so I'm curious actually to know if this aircraft was coming out of maintenance out of Chattanooga. And it seems like their um, malfunction was fairly quick after takeoff because they, they just essentially stayed in the pattern. They stayed with, with Chattanooga departure and um, they did a couple flybys, I think two, two from what I saw most recently. So they were running checklists. I knew something was wrong. This was, this was more of a, uh, I probably two very different situations between the DHL and the FedEx one, but um, they, you know, learned or listened to the ATC audio and they stayed pretty calm and they actually did not declare an emergency until the, they had finished running their checklists. It seems like a couple times around. And then they said, okay, well, you know, we can't, we don't know what the gear is doing. Uh, they did a flyby. The tower confirmed that the gear was not down. Uh, and then they declared an emergency, got the, emergency vehicles out there and um, really just kind of did a really great landing. The, the, I know Matt hates the aircraft, but it's actually the 757 is another really rugged aircraft that can take a, a really good beating, you know, and keep on this one. I feel like this one will be back in the air. I'm surprised looking at the pictures of that 757 that they didn't attempt a gravity extension because mm. none, none of the doors are open. So forgive my naivety here. What's a gravity extension? Literally that. You just remove all hydraulic power from the system and let them fall out under gravity. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. Because that would be better than no gear at all? or Yeah, yeah. because yeah. the weight of the gravity normally can lock itself down under its own weight. Right. 
Is it not like you see on the films, Andy, where you see they see them grabbing a handle and turning it just behind the? Um, yeah, you know? I, I I don't know how it works on the seven five seven, but on the Airbus, it is literally a handle. You you uh, lift it up, turn it three times, and then you hear all the gear doors open and the whole system drops out. Yeah. So I was yeah. surprised looking at the pictures that they hadn't attempted that. So I'm not sure if it was just the gear and there was something more of an issue. Um, yeah, I think it might have been more. I would love to get John Jester's take on this also because I know some companies are going away from any maneuvers that you haven't practiced or they that they don't have an SOP for. And when I was doing my ATP CTP at Delta Airlines, um, those particular instructors said, in this kind of scenario, you know, you have the checklist. You may try it once, but they were teaching actually. You know, flybys, it's a high angle of attack, low energy type thing. You know, we don't do that often. Is it more risky to do those kinds of things than just to belly up the airplane, right? So I think companies are kind of getting away from uh, practicing maneuvers in an emergency situation that you haven't practiced before because you you may, I think the, the statistics show that you may complicate your emergency by doing something mm. weird, but, uh, right? Sorry, I would have thought as part of a type rating on an aircraft, you would have to do a gravity extension and know how to do it. Yeah, I think you do, but uh, that's why you're. I think you're right, and I think there was probably something more going on here where yeah. the, the gear doors weren't weren't sequencing, or uh, I think yeah. And I, I agree with on flybys. I think flybys of towers are, are silly things. It it you can get yourself in a lot of trouble, and the guys in the tower. They're experts at air traffic control. They are not ex experts at aircraft and aircraft systems. And all mm -hmm. they can see is just the underside of an aircraft. And even if the gear is down, they don't know if it's locked. Exactly. I think that's that was one of the things is they, they can't tell if it's locked or the over center links are out. So, so yeah. it just induces more risk to an already risky situation. Well, and I presume if it's not locked, for example, then that is, you know, as dangerous as no, um, like, undercarriage at all, essentially. It's, I, I guess, it, it potentially more dangerous in some respects. Yeah, it is, it is safer. Flailing arms, essentially. It's safer to gear up it than have one of the mains unlocked because you're going to go off the side. If you gear up, at least you know which way you're going. Hmm. A nose gear, though, would be pretty... Um, I don't know, non-eventful. Like that... Um, depends, depends which way it retracts. That's true, that's true. Yeah, because we had that uh, 717 at Charlotte here, the Delta Airlines won that. They did a great job of just lowering the nose when it didn't extend and stopped right on the runway. Yeah. There we go. That's why, this is why we've got two great pilots on the, on the, on the team, look, who can... Uh, give us this kind of explanation so thanks guys but matt you've got the next story and uh obviously matt you've got uh a couple of pooches with you there uh with armando but um you wouldn't want to put them through a x-ray machine well i i mean i have many questions about this story but we'll read it and get into the the nitty-gritty shall we so it's uh simpleflying.com is the website and the headline is tsa asks passengers not to put pets through uh, airport security x-rays I, I feel like it's, you know, we're dealing with stupid people again here if we're having to actually 
say this out loud with many us airlines passengers can take a small pet like like a dog or a cat in a kennel that fits under the seat in front of you they can travel in the cabin with you as long as they fit the rules are different for international flights and domestic flights though so check the airline policy to be sure that small animals are allowed the under seat kennel will generally count towards the carry-on baggage limits only dogs cats rabbits and household birds are permitted and must be able to travel without causing a noise or odour disturbance. Hmm, yummy. Uh, there are other rules in airline policies that can differ from carrier to carrier, so do check out the guidance uh, from the airline if you need to travel with a pet. According to the Transportation Security Administration, that's the TSA, your pet should be immediately placed into its kennel when you arrive at the airport. However, when undergoing TSA screening, passengers should not attempt to x-ray the kennel with the pet still inside. This might seem like an obvious piece of advice, but Clearly, there have been many incidences that have prompted the TSA to issue guidance. Indeed, the TSA says it has seen too many travellers leaving their pets inside when uh, their, their travel bags and placing their pets through the X-ray unit. The scanners used uh, at TSA stations are powerful X-rays, which could harm your pet if they've passed through the tunnel. The TSA recommends removing the pet from the carrier, then arriving. Oh, sorry, when arriving at security and proceeding through the walk-through metal detector with the pet uh, in your arms. If you're able to put the pet on a leash, they can also walk through with you. Uh, passengers with skittish pets who might panic once released from their kennel can request assistance from the TSA. They will be taken to a private screening room where the process can be undertaken without the risk of the pet escaping. One should also be gently reminded that there is also the cargo hold as an option. According to Django, the equipment provider for dog owners, most airlines provide a climate-controlled pressurised compartment below the passenger cabin for pets to stay safe but separated from passengers pets can travel in kennels in the compartment but passengers should also ensure that there is sufficient food and water on hand inside the kennel for the animal depending on the length of flight the risk to pets making air travel is generally very low the u.s department of transport requires animal incident reports when pet deaths in is in flight according to preventative vet the risk is about one out of every 10,000 trips with a pet. According to the Federal Aviation Administration, the FAA, the US Department of Transportation has rules in 14 CFR Part 382 that guarantee accessibility to those with a disability who need a service animal. A service animal can be a canine helper for the blind or a mental health support animal. However, airlines such as Delta Airlines are tightening up those regulations with flight with on sorry on flying with service animals. So again, check with the airline before you book. There you go. And uh, I'm not quite sure what uh, what purpose this particular. <laughs> picture shows i assume that's a dog in a, in a bag about to go through is, it. <laughs> is it is it possible to put some of these passengers in the kennels underneath oh wouldn't that be a lovely idea oh. also known as group six boarding <laughs> oh <laughs> wow well we just lost 13 percent of our audience <laughs> oh, you know, it's, uh, it's really interesting sometimes the things that uh, TSA comes up with that they 
I'm sure they get a memo in the morning of like, you must say these things. But sometimes I've gone through uh, Charlotte and Atlanta and they, as soon as you show your boarding pass and your, and your driver's license, they say, just remember no weapons past this point. And you're like, Oh, I, I, I thought that was obvious to everyone, but now you have to say it to each person coming through. You so. think there's been a briefing of some description because somewhere, somewhere, like in the United States, essentially, somebody has done the somebody exact opposite. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Those are two statements you would never hear in Europe. Make sure you've got no weapons on you and don't put your animals through the scanner because they're not allowed through anyway. <laughs> and in the picture that Matt, uh, I think, is about to show, that's a pretty chunky chihuahua. Like... Which is also a great band name, by the way. But <laughs> it just looks like a roast chicken to me. It does. It does look like it's more like a you know a method of uh, something you should be eating rather than anything else. Yeah. Oh dear. Like a Peking duck, something like that. The apparent weight of that small dog that uh, perhaps the owner maybe needs lessons in animal care. <laughs> so moving on. <laughs> On the on the sound of bands, uh, Nev, we all know you love a good old band. So, uh, what's wrong with this band, Nev? Well, it's the, the the murky world of intellectual property, trademark infringements, and high value lawyers. Here, I think it's on theguardian.com. Uh, it says EasyJet owner sues band for using name Easy Life. Uh, the owner of the airline EasyJet has launched a legal action to force a Leicester band to change their name, accusing the members of Easy Life of being brand thieves. Easy Group, which has a long history of suing people and companies that it believes are cashing in on its versions of its family of brand names, accused the band of infringing the rights of the online retailer Easy Life. Easy Life is an, an independent website that licenses its name from Easy Group for an annual fee. The EasyJet owner has no financial interest in the business, however. The alternative indie pop band Easy Life was formed by the front. Alternative indie pop band Easy Life was formed by the front. Alternative indie pop band Easy Life was. There's some very odd echoes going on just there. Um, the alternative indie pop band Easy Life was formed by the frontman Murray Maltravers in 2017 and consists of five members. Uh, with reference to the band Thief, Mr Maltravers and his fellow band members who have decided to use our brand Easy Life without permission, the spokesman for Easy Group said. We have a long established record of legally stopping thieves from using our brands and I'm confident we will stop Mr Maltravers. Uh, the band turned to the social media site X, formerly Twitter, to defend themselves, saying that they had worked hard to establish uh, our brand and in no way have we ever affected their business. Uh, the band said they're forcing us to change our name or take up a costly legal battle which, could ne uh, which we could never afford. Uh, although we find the whole situation hilarious, we are virtually powerless against such a massive corporation. Uh, Easy Group, which was set up in 1998, by Sir Stelios Haji uh, Ayuno, uh, the owner of Easy Family of Brands, has a section of its website called Brand Thieves, dedicated to its international legal battles to protect the company's intellectual property. Some people think they can make a fast buck by stealing our name and our reputation, it says on the site, which lists uh, legal victories. They set up websites and companies using the name Easy, or phonetic versions of it, which can either pay a passing resemblance to an Easy Group company or be a direct copy. Uh, in 2018, the company took legal action against Netflix over its comedy series Easy, claiming its use of the name 
breached its European trademarks. Uh, in 2008, the Northampton-based restaurant Easy Curry changed its name under the threat of legal action. Action. Such David and Goliath cases are not uncommon, as the owners of a registered trademark are often keen to leverage their rights wherever and whenever they can, said Mark Cattle, a partner and trademark attorney at Withers & Rogers. This is important because if, for example, trademark infringements by a lesser or copycat brand is left unchallenged, it can start to, to, to dilute a company's brand presence in its chosen markets, and this could have a negative effect on sales. If they want an easy life, the band will probably find that coming up with a new band name is much more favourable than getting embroiled in court proceedings. Uh, yes, this, this business of intellectual property and trademark infringement or name infringements um, is never a cheap <laughs> affair, whichever way you look at it. And um, say, I, what, what I'm surprised by though, Nev, is like, I mean, the word easy is, is a generic word. I mean, it can mean- But, but have you seen the band's poster? Yeah. That's that's the big issue here. Oh, I see. Have you, yeah. have, you have you put a picture of it up? Uh, let me see if it's in. Hang on, let me try and. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's in it's the. Basically, uh, a rebranded EasyJet aircraft with Easy Life written on it in the same font and text. Uh, okay. Yeah. So that, I don't that. think you can you can't copyright the word Easy, otherwise we'd all be in a world of trouble. But <laughs> I mean, it's it's pretty bad. So uh, for the for the audio version, it is literally imagine an EasyJet aircraft with easy life written in the same font down the side. So I think that's where Stelios and the group have got the issue. Yeah, unfortunately, for whatever reason, the picture isn't there, unfortunately, so I can't bring it up. But uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it's, uh, yes, I see what you mean. Now that I've, I can see it here in the show notes, as you say, it is, uh, it's, uh, I mean, even the, the stripes and everything are pretty much identical, aren't they? It's, it just is an EasyJet aircraft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's had some words fiddled around with, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, so that's a that's a good point. To be fair, it's, Stelios uh, will go after you. He will <laughs> if you try and use any of his easy branding. Yeah, with good reason. Let's be honest. With yeah. And yeah, I think you actually got the next one. Oh, yes, it's me next. Here we go. And this one's from, um, oh, hang on. Oh. Carlos has just... Hold on. I was just literally, I was just going to quickly pop that up there for the benefit of those people who are in um, in the YouTube feed. If you are watching, whether, that, whether you can see that, whether that's actually on the screen, whether you can see that or not. Yes, you can. Um, but you can see there, for those of you watching in YouTube, well, that is how very, very close and similar that uh, is to, to EasyJet. So there we go. Just yeah. uh, just wondering if these guys have had any airtime on Park Radio. <laughs> Easy life. To be fair, I'd never heard of this band until I saw no, this story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, rest assured, they won't be the official band of EasyJet anytime uh, soon. No. <laughs> well, they're going to have to change their name as well, so we'll never know who they are now, will we? Nah, true. Well, they can just <laughs> change it to Hard Life. Yeah. <laughs> Could they be the band formerly known as Easy Life? Yeah, yeah. I think oh, that's already been done. He'll go after you for that as well, I think. <laughs> <laughs> we can get this with BI. Anyway, Andy, you've yes. got uh, the next one. Yes, this one's from businessairportinternational.com. 
Uh, and this is a company called Volt Aero performs first flight of an electric hybrid aircraft with 100% sustainable fuel. So Volt Aero has flown the proprietary electric hybrid powertrain, that's just another word for engine, isn't it, for its Casio family of aircraft with 100% sustainable fuel provided by Total Energies. Conduct for sorry, conducted from Voltero's development facility in Royan, uh, France, the milestone flight utilized the hybrid powertrain's electric mode and its internal combustion engine, which was fueled by Total Energy's Excellium Race 100, made from bioethanol produced from waste that originates in French vineyards. Oh, I bet that smells nice. Um, this milestone demonstrate this milestone demonstration was performed with Voltero's Casio S testbed airplane aircraft operated by the company to validate its electric hybrid powertrain and the application of sustainable fuels thereby de-risking airworthiness certification for upcoming production versions of the casio aircraft family uh, based on initial results we calculated a truly impressive co2 reduction of approximately 80 percent while operating the casio powertrain in its electric hybrid mode and with the internal combustion engine fueled by Total Energy's Excellium Race 100, said uh, Jean Botti, Voltero's CEO and Chief Technology Officer. It underscores the opportunity for production Casio aircraft to represent a major step closer to aviation's decarbonisation goals by replacing the standard Avgas 100 high-octane fuel for aviation piston engines. This demonstration flight is part of our commitment to support players in the aviation sector for their decarbonisation objectives, said uh, Joel Navarron, the president of Total Energies Aviation. More broadly, it demonstrates our desire to continue our research and development efforts to offer an alternative to aviation gasoline containing lead, thereby meeting the challenges of general aviation's decarbonisation. Voltero's Casio family will be a highly capable and reliable aircraft production line for regional commercial operations, air taxi charter companies, private owners, as well as in utility category service for cargo, postal deliveries and medivac applications. The Voltero propulsion concept is unique. Casio aircraft will utilise an electric motor in the aft fuselage mounted hybrid propulsion unit for all electrical power during taxi, takeoff, primary flight if the distance is less than 150 kilometres and landing. The hybrid feature with an internal combustion engine comes into play as a range extender, recharging the batteries while in flight. Additionally, this hybrid element serves as a backup in the event of a problem with the electrical propulsion, ensuring true fail-safe functionality. Voltaire's first production aircraft will be the Casio uh, 330 with a four five seat interior configuration and operating on a combined electric hybrid propulsion power of 330 kilowatts. It's to be followed by the six seat of uh, Casio 480 with a combined electric hybrid propulsion power of 480 kilowatts and the Casio 600 sized at 10 to 12 seat capacity with electric hydro hybrid propulsion power of 600 kilowatts. There we go. That's quite fancy. That's quite a good idea. I'm just worried about the word Casio. Casio. I Keep thought they manufactured there. watches. Ah, uh, it's okay. There's an extra S in there. It's C-A-S-S-I-O. Ah. That's kind of what I was thinking also since Nev last week called me a guitar collector. I was like, oh, I could buy this airplane and then just say I have a Casio. <laughs> Opportunity for a further trademark infringement. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but not if you say Casio. <laughs> 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 
I do think this is a good idea. And it's quite impressive that there's a CO2 reduction of 80% while operating in electric hy- hybrid mode. I can't say electric hybrid. Well, this was this this is the thing about when we when with at uh, the four hundredth, wasn't it? When um, Neil Cloughley. Neil Cloughley. I mean, this is sort of very much the the model that they were going down, wasn't it? It's like at the moment the batteries that we need to do the job are just not there yet, um, and and like his particular design, not a million miles away from this, where essentially you, all you have to do is is mm-hmm. change the power source essentially. So it can be either like a you know a small generator or, or something like that as you say like run with sustainable fuels or whatever but when the ba- battery technology improves you can then swap that power unit out for you know the the latest battery essentially yeah, yeah. and this is this sustainable fuel uh, this total energy's excellium race 100 i don't know if that was mentioned before in the story um it seems to be like really good stuff especially using waste from vineyards which would just get spread on a field otherwise yeah yeah this really was what uh, Neil was talking about years ago. He's because the Biha that was going to be run essentially by an APU, right? Sipping maybe 150 pounds of jet fuel per hour. But he was he had already talked about making it a sustainable aviation fuel. So you're talking 150 pounds per hour to just run an APU that is running electric motors and that is actually providing propulsion for the aircraft. Um, so. But the good thing in this case is, because if you lost all of, say, the electrical engines died, then you'd have no propulsion, whereas because these are built into the actual powertrain, yeah. it, it then just takes over and powers the aircraft. So you, it, you do have a fail-safe system. Yeah, true. Yeah, that's really more of a take on um, or a spin on the automotive technology mm. right, with that. With it, the, the, it's I, a Formula I, One engine, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, do you do do you think in in the not too distant future we we will see technology like this being sort of rolled out into larger, you know, sort of ten, twenty seater aircraft? Potentially, I think the really big jets are going to go um, hydrogen. I think that's the future for them. Yeah, not not electric. It's too much for a large, really large aircraft. But I think for regional aircraft, this this is a good alternative. Yeah. Love it. I'm hoping I'm going to retire before hydrogen comes along because it's hard to say what, <laughs> what, when is this going to be. I want, I want to try this before I'm, you know, uh, in a you know home somewhere. Um, next up, Nev. Oh no, I think that's me. Sorry, it's me next. <laughs> it's um, a story that we've we've covered. I think we've covered this a few times on the show with this second-hand market for the A380s. And uh, we, I think we covered a, score, a story not so long back about Global Airlines and uh, Global Airlines partners with Highfly on an A380 induction. Uh, Global Airlines has enlisted Highfly, so far the only airline to have ever operated a second-hand A380, to assist in the British startup's launch with the quadjet type. The great news for us, they said, is that the team at Highfly know the A380 inside and out. will be invaluable at helping us with the industry knowledge around the maintenance and technical acceptance required for our first aircraft, they said. All crucial steps before work begins on introducing the new interiors and other vital elements of the global service and passenger proposition, uh, Chief Executive James Asquith said. Highfly, the Maltese AOC of the Portuguese ACMI Charter Specialist, leased its only A380 nine hotel 
Mike India Papa or MSN6 from Doric Asset Finance back in 2018. The aircraft was previously retired by Singapore Airlines and remains the only ever A380 to successfully trade on the second-hand market. Uh, the carrier harboured plans to add more A380s, but their ambitious plans were cut short by the COVID-19 pandemic when the demand for the niche super jumbo plummeted. Highfly retired its A380 back in 2020. Global Airlines acquired the same unit, which is currently in storage at uh, Luard in France. It's said since that it's brought three more A380s, although their identities are unknown. Global pledged that its first A380 would fly to Europe in the coming months and will eventually be registered in Malta, surprise, surprise, as Nine Hotel, Golf, Lima, Oscar, Bravo, Lima. Global Airlines plans to launch in 2024 operating premium transatlantic routes. The first services will connect London with New York and Los Angeles, although the airline is yet to secure slots at any British airports. It has yet to apply for a UK air operator's or certificate or operating licence. And International Corporate Affairs Chief Liam McKay told CH Aviation that details of the AOC will follow in due course when asked if the startup was planning to launch as a virtual airline using High Fly's AOC. It is a virtual airline. It is, yeah. I mean... They, I mean, they, the picture is real. There isn't, there is an A380 with the global logo and stuff on, but I just don't. Well, it's it may happen, but I don't know if it's going to work. If High Flyer operating the aircraft for them, then they are essentially a virtual airline or just a travel agent who mm. own the aircraft. I can't see how this can get off the ground. You need serious amounts of money. Even just launching an airline using a 737, which is far in, compared to the A380, far cheaper to operate. It's still a lot of money. Um, this guy, James Asker, I think he's got a lot of money, which is great because you need it. As the old saying, how do you become a millionaire? You become a billionaire, then start up an airline. Um, I just, I, ne I, I don't see them. And getting an AOC as well, is a very long process from the CAA. And if they haven't started that, then it's going to be a while. And as well, they won't be looking for an AOC from uh, the UK if they're operating these in from Malta on the AOC from there. I don't understand how they're going to fly London to the US when the aircraft is registered in Malta. Um, I can't remember the exact conventions, but I'm not even sure if that's possible. I mean, there was um, with the um, the high flow, wasn't it? I mean, that that did seem to get quite a lot of use, you know. Like, and lots of airlines were using it as a way of, like, you know, if they'd had something go tech, because mm. it came with a with a ready to go crew, didn't it? As well, it was you you could literally hire it after a couple of phone calls to to get you out of said muddle. Yeah, um, and it and it cost you a lot of money, and it was very short term. Yeah. But, it, so but might... it was an immediate solution to a potential, yeah, you know, issue. Oh, I guess. I, I guess. Absolutely. I guess. Just COVID is what what you know knocked that one on the head. I guess. Yeah, that that's their bread and butter airline. It's just like Titan. It's that that's their bread and butter. Airlines ring them up and say, "Oh, an aircraft's gone tech. You got one?" 
And like, if you work for Titan, you have to be within 60 minutes of Stansted as a as flight crew so they can go, yeah, yeah, we've got an aircraft and they ring you up. Right, need to get here now. You're off to, um, especially on the long haul aircraft, uh, you're off to uh, Maldives for the next three days. You know, yeah. stuff like that. That That's the nature of the work. But this is this is a little bit different because they are basically running the airline for them and they must be charging a big premium to do that as well. Yeah, true. But it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But it is interesting they haven't secured any slots and they want to fly from London. And the only place they can accept, well, only two places, three, Stansted, Gatwick, Heathrow could accept a 380 and service it. There's no chance of you getting a Heathrow slot. Gatwick, with their issues at the moment, they're reducing <laughs> capacity. Yeah. So Manchester got... can take a 380, can't it, Andy? Manchester can, yeah. But I'm just saying because they're saying, oh, we're going to fly London to LA, then... I mean, Manchester's got one stand that has air bridges. There's plenty of remote stands that can take it. But so the Emirates have got the monopoly on that, and I don't think Emirates would be very happy if these guys try to come in as well. Yeah, it's just oh, best of luck to them. Yeah. Yeah. I think we'll be reading this story for a while now before it even starts off. But It's a really it interesting air aircraft choice because they, they're getting them from Lourdes, where it's parked, or Lord if you're French. There's hundreds. Hundreds of other aircraft they could have got from there. There's 340s, 330s, 320s lying around there. Why go for the 380? Well, and the, and the 340s are a big aircraft again, aren't they? So you've got, re, you know, yeah, the got, 600s are, yeah, yeah, you've yeah. got decent capacity there that would be more versatile, for want of a better word. More airports that'd be able to handle it. Yeah. Mm. Any thoughts yeah. now before we move on? Uh, no, I'm, I'm with Andy on this one. It is an odd choice, isn't it? Um, considering the, all the risks, and as he says, getting an AOC, it's not just about the, you know the, the technical requirements; it's all the commercial requirements and uh, insurance and uh, operating details and everything. It's a lot to it, absolutely, and legal too. Mm. Mm. Armando, you've got uh, the next story, all about the triple tree flying. <laughs> Yeah, we're going from the world's biggest aircraft to the world's smallest aircraft on this story. Um, so fly-ins, I don't know that that's really a thing over there in Europe. Uh, Matt is actually going to experience a fly-in tomorrow. So Carlos, Ooh. you and I went to the, the Flying Horseman Ranch fly-in there in Virginia. So tomorrow I'm taking Matt over to the uh, Laney's Fall Fly-in, which is similar. It's two grass runways. Probably about 100 airplanes will show up tomorrow, tomorrow morning. As long as the weather is okay, but the the triple tree fly in is uh is kind of our biggest one here in in the East Coast. Um, if you uh, have never been there, this is this is kind of a story telling you why you should go there. Matt's going to put up some pictures if you're looking at the YouTube feed. But uh, you know, we all know Oshkosh. Oshkosh is like all things great aviation. That's big and small. Uh, Sun and Fun is a little bit more intimate, more general aviation focused. That's in Florida. It's kind of a spring break destination. But the the Triple Tree fly-in here in South Carolina is just a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more uh, family-oriented. It's like a big reunion of, of antique aircraft and general aviation aircraft. Um, according to uh, some the Southern, Hus Southern Hospitality, which is a magazine here, um, they, uh, they're all about fun, friendship, and... and uh, hosting people there in the south carolina and exposing them to the uh the ways of the south uh this is the kind of flying that families bring their kids their dogs um, there's cookouts there's actually even a uh 
steak night where there's free steaks, you know, free ribeyes that are, that get cooked up. Um, and of course, you know, there's all the hangar talk. You get to uh, look at all kinds of vintage air, aircraft. Matt just put up a picture of a DC-3, a radial engine DC-3 landing there at Triple Tree. Um, there are all kinds of things to do there when you go. So it's not just airplanes, although that's what we all want to do. But there's hiking trails. You can fish in their lake that, you know, there's aircraft park right by the lake. Um, there's workshops just like they do at Oshkosh. And then there's activities for teenagers, for kids, for families. There's flight simulators that they uh, put up for this flying. This is actually a private airstrip. It's only open one week out of the year for this flying by the owners. Um, there's radio control aircraft, hot air balloons. Um, I think there's actually uh, flights for sale on T6s and P-51 Mustangs, I'm sure, for the right yeah. amount. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's really interesting. This is a 7,000-foot grass strip, so it's actually longer than most regional airports here in the U.S. and, and definitely longer than most uh, airports over there in the U.K. But 7,000 feet of grass that is golf course quality. Um, there's uh, volunteers, like all of these other fly-ins. It's all run by volunteers, and, and the whole event relies on them. But the volunteers themselves are pilots, mechanics, you know, experienced aviators. Um, this year, there was a, a kind of a special honoring of a gentleman named uh, Uncle John. <laughs> Uncle John's been uh, going there for, jeez. Oh, well, he just celebrated his 100th birthday uh, flying in an air cam uh, into the Triple Tree flying. And he's been going there for a long time. But they they presented a, a plaque for him and everything. And um Again, with the volunteers, there's only three full-time employees that work at Triple Tree, uh, and they really just maintain the grounds and all that. But everything else is uh, is done by volunteers. 278 total air, total acres of grass. That's that's to mow. Um, so, Looks uh, the reason, uh, yeah, it's a it's just a cool thing. Again, if anybody is ever in the U.S. and or our U.S. listeners, and you haven't gotten a chance to go see an experience of flying i don't know carlos you you've you've now been to the flying horseman which was pretty representative of what we do how would you kind of describe our our local fly-ins very uh very friendly very aviation ga orientated everyone who goes to the flyings especially the one obviously we went to in the us when i was with you everyone there is just it focused a hundred percent on everyone else's aircraft. Everyone's flying. Everyone's chatting to each other. It's very family orientated. It's very close knit. Everyone's getting on with each other. Everyone's chatty. Everyone wants to talk to each other all about aviation. It's, it's just, you know, it's just a big, good get together. And it's free. Yeah. And it's free. Exactly. Yeah. Even the food is free. It's just donations. Yeah. I wish we had the weather and the space in this country to do these sort of things. We do we do have the space in a lot of the airfields to to do things like this, but it's rare unfortunately that that these things happen here. And I don't know why because it's not that we haven't got a whole load of people who who own their own GA aircraft who would love to do things like this, but it's not something you see happen an awful lot even in the area where me and Matt live here. 
Well, I mean, Stephen have done similar things, haven't they? they? They've sort of done, like, you know, much smaller scale, obviously, not like what Armando's talking about here. But they've done smaller scale meetups. I mean, in fact, we, we hosted one there, didn't we? Yeah, the, the difference... The only difference being, Matt, is that a lot of the ones, or the lot of ones at Ceiling have hosted, they are generally, they generally tend to be a, a one-day thing, and you don't, unlike the US ones, where you get to camp Stay virtually over. next door to your aircraft in a tent, if need be. Um, that you know, it doesn't seem to sort of happen here. I might, I might be wrong. Other parts of the UK might have some flyings. If any, anyone's listening, and you know of some great flyings in the UK, let us know so we can, um, you know, obviously talk about them andy do you G -A fly G -A? Oh, go on sorry i'm on oh, i was gonna ask you do you do you fly ga do you <laughs> no i i don't i don't <laughs> have time <laughs> I'd, no I'd love i hate it no i'd love to i don't i don't really have the time um you guys have got a lot less controlled airspace as well yeah which makes a big difference flying around the uk low you'd have to stay at quite low level I, <sighs> At the cost as well. The cost for an hour, I think it's up to around £160 an hour to yeah. use an aircraft in the UK. Correct. I mean, that's that's big money, yeah. really, for fun. Yeah. And also also the wife says no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Ah, that's the truth. Ah, there we are. No, no, I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. She She's always <laughs> saying to me, you should start flying Cessnas and stuff again. I'm like, yeah, 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 when I've got time. Like, when have I got time? Yeah. You know, you know, we love hosting people, and uh, perhaps you should propose to her that you come to Charlotte, North Carolina, for a week. Uh, her and Megan can hang out, and then you and I can just go fly around into all kinds of little grass strips. Uh, I'll have to bring the five, I'll have to, I'll have to bring the five-year-old as well. But yeah, 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 I'll start proposing yeah. that one. Yeah, good idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> start, start now. You might have it sorted by. 2029 something like that yeah that's yeah fine. that's fine we'll that's fine. be here till 2034 <laughs> and then we're moving to belize or something okay <laughs> anyway yeah you've got the next one actually oh, oh yes it's all happening <laughs> right how do you even so this is from ain online is this fly v-birds or fliverbird outlines plan for on-demand air taxi network so this is a German app-based on-demand air taxi startup, Fly V Bird, Fliver Bird. Oh, literally, I don't know, but um, is preparing to launch services at the end of 2024 with the first of its four Technem P2012 travelers on order. The startup expects the business to grow exponentially over the coming years with a mixed fleet of up to 500 low-cost and reduced emissions aircraft envisaged by the end of the next de decade to service a growing international network. Uh, the company has joined forces with Italian air frame uh, Technam to develop the operation dubbed Flive. Fliv? Flive. Uh, anybody else got any idea how you say that? I think it's Fly V-Bird. But then how about the one, the, the operation dubbed fl Fly, is it Fly V? Okay. Which I'm will... Go I'm going to go with Fliv Bird. <laughs> fliv. <laughs> so, okay, so Fliv. Norwegian accent there, Armando. Which, which will provide air services with the 1,700 nautical mile range of the uh, Traveller Piston Twin to small rural and secondary airports around Europe. It will use an app 
booking system and scheduling platform based on what the company founder, Tomislav Lang, calls an innovative, oh, innovative algorithmic approach designed to deliver an alternative to traditional transportation models. Using its proprietary, or oh, gets better now, FlyVV AI algorithm, the company says it its platform will optimize the daily flight schedule based on paid bookings and operational constraints. It will also provide a guaranteed fixed travel time frame at the booking stage. We're not reinventing anything, just making things better for the market by letting the customers choose when and where they fly, said Lang. The nine passenger traveller is an ideal fit for the company, Lang maintained, due to its very low operating costs, fuel efficiency and versatility. We will start with the uh, Lycoming powered traveller as the Continental powered short takeoff and landing variant does not have an electronic engine control, he explained. Similarly, the company is eyeing possible new alternatives for its fleet, including the hybrid electric short takeoff and landing aircraft being developed by US-based startup Electra, which is targeting entry into service in 2028. Hey, they should look at the uh, Casio as well. It is vital that we get the aircraft selection right, and if the Electra does not come to the market on schedule, we will stick with the traveller, said Lang. As an aviation industry veteran with 23 years experience, including having been the owner and managing director of now defunct Swiss uh, regional airline Skywork, Lang is confident he has what it takes to launch this new service in a very competitive field. With my pedigree, I have learned all the flaws of this business and I have the right partners and team in place. And together, we have taken our time to evaluate the model and make it feasible, said Lang. It's all about getting you from A to B as quickly and conveniently and cheaply as possible using a network of small local airports. Germany is likely to be the launch country with a core network of airports. Uh, Brunswick, Monschagladbach, Munster, Friedrichshafen and Stuttgart already determined. From this starting point, Lang hopes to expand flights to and, uh, around 30 other airports. It's like planting a seed and then growing from the centre, he said. Within two years, he plans to expand into neighbouring European countries with the locations driven by customer demand. With a German AOC, we can cover any routes in the European Union. If we want to operate within the UK and Switzerland, non-EU countries, a separate AOC will be needed, or we could establish partnerships with existing operators, Lang explained. In about 10 years, the company expects to be operating a fleet of up to 150 aircraft across the continent. It's a worldwide skill for product, and if we do this right, we could be operating 500 aircraft globally before the end of the next decade, Lang suggested. Well... What do you think? Uber of the air. So I think I think Nick, uh, you actually wrote some comments on here. I'm kind of with you. Would again, you know, I, I only lived over there for a little while. But is there a, a market for this? Is there? You guys have such a great public transport ground network. Well, well Europe does. The UK doesn't. Just don't mention the train services here, Armando. Well, compared to our train service, like it's you, it's the best in the world because we I only have the Amtrak here only runs one line from about four cities, and then you know one up the east coast, one out to the west coast. It's we have zero public transport here. Like I don't know, I've always I loved being being in the UK, and I thought your train system was great. 
Yeah, Matt was lucky the other day when he got the train from from Dis because his train wasn't on, or the drivers weren't on strike. But um, you know, but, but I, I I needed to do it on the that's one of the main reasons for going up the night before because on the Wednesday there was gen, there was an actual train train strike taking yeah. place and it was genuinely going to be impossible because it's like I think the first services Norwich bound were like at lunchtime. And normally they start at like four o'clock in the morning. It's just crazy. Just crazy. I, I, think, I think this is a good idea. Is it viable though? Is uh, it going to work in the UK? That's, you know, this is the thing. I mean, like Armando's saying about like the trains being, you know, rubbish here in the States, but, but, but like flying is much more of a normal thing to do here in comparison mm. to like the UK, you know, I mean, there's literally, you know, you were pointing out when we were driving around, like there's a, you know, there's a, there's a, you know, a places where people can park their planes at their houses, you know, it like, you know, like you and I would park a car in the garage, you know. Um, I think it's, it's all going to boil down to cost, isn't it? How much it's going to cost the, the, you know, the consumer. Well, also, is this, is this a point to point service or is this literally it's airborne and somebody goes, oh, actually, I want to go to Friedrichshafen. Uh, yeah, press that button and the pilot goes, all right, we're just going to call in this airport now and pick somebody else up. And then they get airborne again. And then suddenly, before you know it, it's taken you four hours uh, and it would have been quicker yeah. to go on the train. Even even if they're not running. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I don't know. And again, like you say, it'll cost. I mean, once you're in the air, though, I mean, they can't... Surely, you know, once, once the deal has been done, as it were, right, they can't be sort of, you know, unless you got lucky and it was en route... Yeah, but I think that's what they sort of saying here because if if it's a uh, several seaters, they're going to want to fill it up. Yeah, but in the same way, you might have a an eight seater Uber, for example, but it's not going to turn. It's not. It's not going to pick somebody else up on the way once you've done their route. It's going to, as you say, it depends on the route, yeah. doesn't? It, I guess. Nev, you you do a lot of commuting and travelling within the UK, sort of up north and back down to sort of your neck of the woods. If if this was a service that was not you know an offer here, I say to use rather than driving or using a, a commercial airline, what, what, what do you what do you think? Mm, difficult to say, really. I mean, the operating costs of a twin piston are not that expensive compared to a turboprop aircraft, I would imagine. Um, I my my sort of start and end point is Manchester. If I'm going to Manchester. I'm going to drive it unless uh, the customer is right next to Manchester Airport. So going further north, I'm going further north, I'm going to get on a plane, unless I've got equipment to take with me, as I did the other day to Edinburgh and Aberdeen, but that's quite rare. Um, so um, it relies heavily on regular commuters using it, and that means the business community. And we all know what's happened with high-speed rail in this country over the last couple of days. <laughs> Uh, Thank yes. goodness. Um, so um, I think that that would, it would be a difficult one to run uh, in the UK. But you see, in Germany, the the, the high speed rail network is very good. So um, is there a business case for it? I don't know. Difficult to say. And the guys in the chat room actually having a really good chat about it. Jan's talking about how uh, Braunschweig is the home of, of Volkswagen and uh, their aviation authorities. So if you had a company like this, a small company with small aircraft, and they found this sort of niche in the market where they can say, okay, we'll, we'll connect, you know, Braunschweig through to Berlin. And then they just run that back and forth, almost like a charter. I guess it would, 
almost structured charter, but a scheduled service. Like we have that here where we have essential air service where, or, or even there are some companies that, that will bid for a small airline to provide service for their employees from a city like Midland, Texas to Dallas. And it'll be like a sob or something like that. Um, so I guess, I guess you guys were, I, I think we're all saying the same thing. Maybe if there is a industry or business use case for it, then it might work. Huh? Is are those routes subsidized? Uh, the EAS routes are subsidized by the government for economic yeah. uh, progress. Yes. We have very few routes that are subsidized in this country, mainly up to the Scottish Highlands where road transport is difficult. But all of the it, down in England, all of those routes, it's just a free market. If you can make it work, you can make it work. Mm. So it was the the downfall of the, the second reiteration of Fly BMI, um, Fly B as well. The money, the market disappeared, especially at the beginning of COVID, and there's never anybody to bail you out in this country anymore. So yes, it, it could make it difficult unless you do have, as Nev said, you need the um the passenger numbers to make it work yeah but then is it just becoming a regional carriage uh, carrier <laughs> right and it's and it's it's no longer uh, the uber of the sky as matt put it kind of the question and then and then where they where do they fall legally in their operating certificate then yeah that changes things huh, all good questions we should have them on the show they can give us their pitch and then all seven of us that are currently on the call can <laughs> sit there like this like shark tank and yeah throw holes, <laughs> holes <their> business model <laughs> so that is where we bring the commercial news segment of the show to a close but obviously as you may know from the top of the show matt is over in the u.s with armando so armando you've obviously straight off the bat you've uh, got matt um sampling some of the delights of uh, a certain aircraft that you fly yep i i'm not even going to try to pronounce it anymore in public so i'm <laughs> actually just going to let um also i got picked on on apg yesterday matt and i joined them for a little bit and i still got they hadn't even talked to nick codling and <laughs> captain nick was giving me grief about my pronunciation of the former hawker sidley 125 that is now another goes by another name uh, but i'm actually gonna let matt talk about this a little bit yeah so um as as you know i'm i'm here in the states um it's been just lovely to sort of spend time with armando and his family just sort of doing armando type things and one of those was so uh one of the uh this so the flight the 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 plane that uh, Armando flies, the Hawker, uh, that is uh, uh, has uh, gone for a little bit of maintenance. So I got the opportunity to have the something that many many people will never ever have, and that's essentially a private jet all to myself. Admittedly, only for about fifteen minutes because um, it was literally a positioning flight from where it lives uh, near to Armando's home to uh, where it was going for maintenance. But it was basically myself and two pilots, a very nice bar, and before <laughs> we got uh, underway, um, Armando talked me through um, the uh, the sort of the, the pre-flight checks and what has to be done before you fire up the aircraft. 
everybody. Hi. This We've is, got Matt here. This, this is weird. <laughs> We're actually taking Matt up flying in the Hawker. This is a maintenance reposition flight. We're literally going to be a 15-minute flight to a service center. But uh, Matt gets the full VIP treatment in the back. I'm, I'm allowed to go to the bar, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. 100%. So we're going to go through the pre-flight procedure. Um, okay. I'm going to be talking to you about it. Yep. So what I did right there was just check all the batteries before we start anything. Um, I'm going to make sure that all the batteries are charged. And then right away, we are going to turn the battery on. Make sure that the gear handle is down. That is set. That is set. Parking brake. We will set and uh, we got two good lights and then turn the beacon on left fuel pump to emergency and that is pumping what, fuel. why is that why, why why do you move it it's the only way that it pumps fuel from the left fuel tank to the apu right and then the first thing we're going to do is start the apu so we test it fire bell okay that's uh if we had a fire in the You'd apu that that's noise. what we would hear yeah. Make sure that's off. Make sure the bleed air is off. And then we start it. We yell, APU! Oh, wow. And we've got the gauges up yeah. here like as, as it's coming up to speed. Yeah? Yep. So that's its RPM yep. and exhaust gas temperature and the generator load right there. Okay. And the generator load, that's based on... So it's zero right now and you're going to see it pop up as soon as it gets to full speed. Gets speed, yeah. It's going to go... Yeah. Right, so now the generator is ready to load. So it says DC load, but what what is the... So, so is it like the voltage is a set voltage and then that's fluctuating depending on demand? Yep. Okay. So it's uh, 28 volts DC, yeah. uh, 300 amps that comes out of there. So now we've loaded the generator and then what I did was close the bus tie. So that tied the electrical system from the front of the airplane to the APU. Okay. And now the APU is powering everything. All of the right. stuff, right? I presume you have to wait until everything's running at full speed yep. before you, yeah. And then the other thing is I started a clock. Yep. And when that clock gets down to zero, we can use the bleed air. So right now we're not, we're just taking electricity from the APU. Okay. We're not taking any bleed air, any extra air. And what's the bleed air for? Bleed air, when we turn it on, is going to provide air conditioning uh, for okay. the airplane. Right, right. Yeah. And that's the difference between the jets and the turboprops, is we have an APU, so we can yeah. cool the airplane down, we can heat the airplane out. On board. In an emergency, that can pressurize the airplane. Wow, okay. Right? So we can route the bleed air to different places. Um, and it's literally just a little jet engine. Yeah. Fun fact, the APU on Hawker was, um, it came off of a DC-10 uh, part number from back in the day. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, so. <laughs> Not a little. Um, Sorry. Yep. <laughs> so the other thing I did was uh, started the inverters. Inverters take DC and turn it into AC. But we, we've got three inverters in this airplane, and we want to make sure that each inverter can take the load of all the other inverters. So I'm just checking 115 yep. volts AC. Yeah. So they all work. Yeah. While I'm there, I'll turn the emergency lights to arm. Okay. Uh, Seatbelt signs are on, which I love. This one actually has like a. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but it's got got a virtual flight attendant because this used to be a charter airplane. Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah. the, the co-pilot seat actually has um, selectable announcements, just like an airliner. Oh, wow. So okay. I can turn on the, 
before takeoff announcement, yeah. the turbulence, the overwater announcement. Yeah, right turn to the south. I turn the fuel pump off. We don't need it anymore. Okay. Because it's now primed and it's already drawing its own. Yeah, yeah. And then we're just going to turn the bleed air on and you'll hear it. So now the AC yeah. is on. Oh, there it goes, yeah. Now we're using bleed air from the APU yeah. to cool the airplane. Okay. All right. So we've got that, and then while we're up here, we're just gonna go across the top, check all our lights and enunciators. Yeah. Make sure everything's on. Yeah. The only one that doesn't come on in this airplane, because it was an afterthought, is the bag compart baggage compartment fire okay. light, yeah. which we test. There's three smoke yeah. detectors back there. Ah, uh, yeah. All right, those are checked. Now we're gonna check the stall system. So in this airplane, we have three stall computers. Um, what, what, sorry, the pins that you just removed there, what's that? Just about? gust locks for the wind. Okay. So it prevents the control surfaces um, from moving in the wind or an airplane taxi is fine. Okay. Um, I'll turn the oxygen on while I'm here too. Providing emergency oxygen to the crew and the passengers. Yep. All right, so we'll test. You ever heard of the shaker? We're always talking about the stick shaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is it. It's a pretty big warning. All right, and there's okay, my so, stall computer. So what's what's the purpose of that? This is, if you're getting close to a stall, it, this is the warning that it's gonna give you. Wow, okay. So we don't have anything that says, that goes meep, like a small airplane. Pull up. Yeah. We do have that. I'll do you, I'll that in a second. There's three different channels for the stick shaker. Yeah. Test the third one, doesn't shake, but we'll see a yeah, stall see item light, yeah. And then if you don't do anything, the airplane will push, not to the ground, but it'll push the nose down so you don't stall. Oh, wow. So we test that system. Shaker, shaker, shaker. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, well, that's quite I don't know if you can re reach that, but you can feel how much force. We'll test the second one. Yeah, it pulls it out of your hand. It makes it pilot-proof. Yeah, right? yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, and then we're gonna test our engine fire. Uh, so we have seven lights, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and a bell. Test engine. I love how old school the bell is. Yeah. <laughs> engine two, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven. and a bell. Bell, yeah. All right. Our air temperature overheat, we're testing that. That's good. And then there's an overheat light there. Ice detector. Okay. We think ice, ice, baby. So ice. <laughs> and then there's an ice. Yeah. There's an ice detector outside the airplane that tells you, hey, I just detected ice. Turn your anti-ice on. Okay. All right. And what does anti-ice do? <clears throat> I mean, I know that sounds like a stupid question. It's exactly what it means. Right, okay. Yeah. It, we, we, this is a wet wing Is it that heating element, or...? No, this airplane uses a, a, a fluid to coat the wings so ice doesn't build on it. Oh, wow, okay. And so it's like spraying, essentially. Yeah. yeah. And then we've got, uh, in the engines, we've got an overheat, um, a hot bleed air inlet so ice doesn't build up on the engine intake. Okay. <clears throat> this is a good one. If if the uh, cabin altitude comes too high, so pressurization, this is what we would hear, and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna test it, but then I'm gonna test the horn to cancel it. 
It's a pretty loud horn that tells us, hey. <laughs> that horn tells you the cabin altitude is high, you need to do an emergency descent or put your masks on. Here is the noises that you were just talking about. We test all of those. Light slope. So oh, up. Wind shear. Wind shear. Wind shear. Terrain. Terrain. Pull. Up. There she is. Yeah. <laughs> so I went through all this test. We'll test our overspeed, our actual airspeed overspeed. That's a mock. That's a speed. Our angle of attack indicator, we want to make sure it works. Us military guys, we tend to fly angle of attack, which is a real-time measurement of the angle of the wing compared to its relative wind. Okay. And cell cal is a way for ATC to get hold of us when we're doing transatlantic. Okay. All right, so that, we've tested That's that. That's the panel, yeah. Yep. Uh, emergency lights are armed. Batteries are normal. Alternators are off. All of this uh, is off. Clear track 392. Um, with the so yeah. That's good. And then we'll uh, test the autopilot. Yeah, clear track 392. So testing the autopilot. Now it's on. I can click it off. I can click it master off. So, I mean, forgive the question, like, because we, we, we often take the Mickey out of Airbus pilots where it's a, uh, you know, you press one button and it takes off, you press another one and it'll land. What, 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 what does autopilot actually do in, in this environment? It, it flies everything. It'll fly. This airplane does not have auto land. It doesn't have takeoff or anything like that. But thousand feet, we generally turn the autopilot on and it'll fly laterally. It'll fly three dimensions, laterally and uh, vertically. In so, this airplane. So you've given it like coordinates and settings yeah. and all that kind of thing. We'll put in a route and and altitudes and it will maintain it will maintain all that. Uh, next thing we'll test is the trim system. You see it just like hey. a, just like a Boeing. Yeah. It goes up, goes down, co-pilots goes up, goes down. Yeah. That they cancel each other out. They do indeed. We'll test the individual switches, make sure it doesn't turn. Alright. So that's all tested. We set it for takeoff right there. Mm -hmm. And while we're here, we will set the um, autopilot, or sorry, the command bars for takeoff. So it's 12 degrees nose up, 200 on the speed, and we want it to level off at 3,000 feet. And that will be the, the, the clearance that they're about to give us. All right, so we've checked all that. Now we just gotta check our flight plan. See what... Uh, Chief pilot plan for today. Alright, so Charlotte to Greensboro, it's actually direct. <laughs> and hope so. <laughs> direct at 9,000 feet. Okay. So I'll set the pressure for 9,000 feet, and then what I'll go do is go flight plan. This is Probably the hardest part of transitioning to jets is how to know, knowing how to work the box. Okay.
and genuinely an experience that I don't think I will ever, ever have again. Quite possibly, I think, the coolest thing that I've ever done. And of course, in this day and age, the opportunity to sort of stand at the flight deck door almost and sort of look out while people are... Um, you know, while while the flight is in in place, of course, is something that as a regular passenger is just not an option these days. Um, really, really amazing. I, I I mean, words fail me. I mean, I'm sat here with Armando. We we both enjoyed watching that back. Weirdly, it was uh, quite a quite an in, insane experience. As I say, one I'm never going to forget again. Just just so cool, so cool. Yeah, you look. You certainly look like you enjoyed yourself, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. No, it really was. As I say, and I know it was only it was only a short flight and and all that kind of thing. And can I? Can I, I need to talk about the landing. By the way, I'm not even joking. I didn't realise we were on the ground. The only reason I knew we were on the ground is because it suddenly went from being exceptionally quiet to really noisy. That is genuinely the only reason that I knew we'd hit that we were on the ground. Honestly, award winning. <laughs> Uh, my man Micah is asking in the chat room, Matt, uh, how many cocktails did you have while you're on board? I can neither confirm or deny any of them. <laughs> uh, Armando, n now we've done the technical ground school. When do we move to the simulators? <laughs> yeah, uh, bring it. I'd be happy to put anybody through the hot box. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just so cool. It, it, is a, it is a fun airplane. It's a, very much a mechanical airplane. Uh, the... the HS-125, I'm still not going to say its name. <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, it's, it's, it's a gentleman's airplane, right? Everything is mechanically linked. You can it's feel very it. British. It's very it British. British. You know, and I've flown the, I've flown the Jetstream, uh, and I've flown the Hawker, and I've been in uh, the BAE-146, and it's surprising. They're all surprisingly, British Aerospace has a lot of commonality. Maybe Airbus kind of stole that from them, the but. They used all the same white piano switches in all of them. Yeah, and and all the everything seems to be in the same place. Um, yeah. So it's, it is indeed a very British airplane. Um, Matt and I got to talk a little bit about the history of the mm. Hawker and um, you know how it was it was essentially designed for the Queen. She never flew it, but then the the RAF took it as a troop transport, and it's just such a reliable airplane. Um, in fact, the maintenance issue we had was a was a very minor maintenance issue but it was still something that we weren't going to take our our passengers on and and we have a spare airplane we have a second one in our flight department so we just got the other airplane to do it well we you know well we went to go and play <laughs> yeah <laughs> essentially right yeah sorry carlos i mean carlos's highlight was to uh, fly the pilatus but then matt had to upstage him and and get on the hawker yeah yeah and it was just uh, i i slight like, i don't know it's just like even as not being not very being very keen on aviation, I could very easily get used to that style of flying. Absolutely. <laughs> your turn now, Nev. You need to uh, need to get yourself over to the US and experience the full Armando, you know, lifestyle. Yeah, I'm thinking of the uh, the Global Express, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> if you've got any uh, uh, give us a couple of years. I think our our. Uh, principals are actually talking about upgrading to not not a global, but possibly a Falcon 900 or a Gulfstream. Oh, that'll do. That'll so do. <laughs> there we go, Nev. 
next time you're <laughs> next time you're going to Dallas or Portland, just make sure. Well, it's I've had the pleasure of flying on a well-known United Kingdom uh, construction manufacturer's Falcon 2000 on yeah. the jump seat, and also a well-known Danish uh, toy brick company's uh, Citation. 560XL uh, in the past, and uh, have to agree with Matt. It's a, it's a brilliant experience going on the private or executive aircraft. It certainly is. There you go, Andy. When your airline career is over, I uh, will be waiting for you to uh, comply with me. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> All right, and because I'm here and sat next to him, Matt hit the button. Oh, oh, oh ah, hang on. <laughs> I did that because I can see him and I knew he wasn't ready. Let's yes. do something again. <laughs> oh, wow. Buggies 13550, Angel All right, this first military story is a bit of a sad story. Uh, it just means I'm getting old because uh, aircraft that I flew or flew on are more and more ending up either in the boneyard or up on sticks in front of uh, military bases. But uh, this particular J-STARS aircraft, a crew of airmen at Ramstein Air Base in Germany flew the final operational sortie of the E-8C J-STARS on September 21st, paving the way for the last of the fleet to be retired this month in October. Members of the Georgia Air National Guard's 116th Air Control Wing, a fantastic group of individuals down there. I've actually worked with them. Um, They flew the very last of more than 14,000 sorties for the J-STARS, which is used for targeting battle management and command and control. A spokesperson for the 116th Air Control Wing told Air and Space Forces magazine that two J-STARS aircraft now remain at uh, Robbins Air Force Base, and the tentative plan was to send the last one to the Boneyard at Davis-Monthan Air Force Base the first week of November. Until then, the aircraft was still going to be continued to be used for aircrew proficiency or training as needed. Um, The final operational sorties of of the J-STARS marked one of the final milestones for the E-8, primarily used for ground-moving target indication, and I'll talk about that here in a second. J-STARS also served as a battle management platform. Its most distinctive feature, and we don't add in get pictures to Matt here, but um, is the 27-foot-long canoe-shaped radome that sits under the forward section of the fuselage. Um, and inside of that, there is a 24-foot-long side-looking phase array antenna. Um, the aircraft was actually first used. Um, that's actually the wrong story. Uh, that's next. Um, the first aircraft was used in Desert Storm, played a key role in the Air Force's contributions to the global war on terror, uh, and then most recently, the E-8 flew missions over Eastern Europe, as you guys can imagine, after the invasion of Ukraine. Now, the Air Force has been planning to retire the J-STARS for a little while. Since June of 2021, Air Force leaders announced that they intended to cut the aircraft from Robbins Air, uh, Air Reserve Base, which has actually hosted the, the E-8 since 1996. And we've talked about it on the show. In its place, the Robbins is getting the E-11 uh, Bacon also a great Halloween costume, just a bacon. Uh, that's the uh, aircraft that's based on a Bombardier uh, Challenger, I believe. Um, anyway, over the last couple months, Robbins has wound down the J-STARS operations. 
deactivating squadrons and conducting their final flights uh, in June. The uh, active duty 461st Air Control Wing completed it la its last active duty operational mission at Ramstein. So why I had this, the JSTARS aircraft is, is really important. I was a, um, call it a consumer of the data that it produced. Uh, the, the radar, this 24-foot phased array uh, antenna and, and the associated processing software can detect something as small as a motorcycle moving. And what it's doing is it's an incredibly fast radar that's side looking and it can look as close as 30 kilometers and all the way up to 300 kilometers. And it's basically just taking constant radar images of the ground and anything moving. So if you had a team uh, of uh, individuals on the ground, you could warn them based on uh, changes in the radar signatures, um, vehicles moving in and out of a city, personnel, uh, motorcycles. You can tell a lot of activity going in and out of a city. Uh, as you can imagine, if, you, if anybody plays like Call of Duty or anything like that, you could. it's basically like being able to call out and say, hey, this is a, a, a three-dimensional picture of what's going on around you, uh, which is incredibly useful to the to the teams on the ground. So lots of contributions, lots of missions. Uh, yeah, Matt's got the picture up there. You can see the, the canoe on there. I've got a question lots for you, Armando. Yes, sir. Why why are they retiring these? Is it airframe hours? Because they they never retrofitted these with the CF sixes like the other like the KC one three fives. Yeah, it's just like we talk about on the commercial side. You you have a four engine jet that's been around since the sixties with a crew of twenty on board. With the advances in both uh, efficiency of of aircraft and aircraft engines, but also the the fusion and data fusion systems on board. You don't need 20 people anymore. Now you can do it with two. So now you have two operators on board in a much more efficient aircraft that has the same loiter time and a much smaller radar signature also. Um, not, that, not that a Bombardier is any more survivable in combat, but just from an efficiency and money standpoint, it's uh, it's much better to, to downsize to a platform. Plus when the E-8 was designed, the J-STARS was designed, we didn't really have that we had satellite communications, but Desert Storm was really the kind of the first implementation of satellite communications. Now we have so much bandwidth that we can offload a lot of the data processing to a ground station. Fair enough. It's a beautiful airplane. They really are. And I'm sure as we get to see them in museums and, and the boneyard, then, you know, they'll be pretty. 707 is a pretty airplane anyways. Um, so kind of related, actually, this next military story, um, after more than four decades, this one's from the drive.com, the KC-10 Extender has also flown its last combat mission. Um, while the Air Force has already been sending KC-10s to the Boneyard since 2020, uh, the latest milestone signals an impending retirement of the KC-10 um, although it's not entirely clear what the Air Force is planning for its future tanker fleet, right? We talk about the KC-46 and all that stuff. But uh, the Defense Department just published a picture uh, showing a KC-10 departing Prince Sultan Air Base on October 5th. That's in Saudi Arabia. According to the captions, the departure of the extender could uh, conclude the aircraft's final combat deployment to 
that particular base, which is a, a key base, key location in the Middle East. KC-10 also included a career of more than 30 years with the U.S. Air Force's uh, Central Command. And that included PSAB Air Base. Uh, during that time, the KC-10, of course, as you can imagine, played a critical role in supporting all kinds of different military operations, including Enduring Freedom, Iraqi Freedom. And I will um, remind everyone that not only U.S. forces, but the KC-10 refueled a lot of partner forces and coalition forces and uh, lots of aircraft from, from our coalitions. Um, the KC-10 was originally brought on as a heavy tanker to supplement the KC-135. Um, as you guys can see from the pictures, it's based on a DC-10. And um, it actually had a much larger fuel capacity compared to the KC-135. Uh, the KC-10 could actually carry almost double the fuel load of the KC-135. That's uh, 356,000 pounds of fuel is what a KC-10 can carry. That's that's to offload. That's not even including its own fuel. Um, and also, unlike the KC-135, the 10 also had an integrated hose and drogue system in addition to the boom, which made it easily uh, able to refuel uh, Navy and Marine Corps aircraft, as well as a lot of our partner nation aircraft that have the uh, the, the probe system. Um, and then, and then, you know, KC-10s have also flown so many missions, humanitarian missions. It's in addition to its uh, refueling capability, it also carries a lot of cargo. Right, this is like FedEx DC-10s uh, or MD-11s. But once again, it's so sad to see these go because all these aircraft that I know and love, and we all know and love, are starting to get retired. And uh, I'm, I'm going to make a sad admission here. I am a bit of a spotter. I don't have a flask and a notebook. Just, just to put that, I just like to watch wait, them. Wait, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like to spot aeroplanes, and it's getting it's getting boring in the world now. The military used to be the one place where you could go and see all these fancy aircraft that used to fly in military, uh, sorry, in civilian service, and now they're all disappearing as well. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. It's kind of a sad, sad moment. And it's just going to be a to I, do, I don't have a flask and a notepad, all right? I just <laughs> to look at he has, however, got a bobble hat. <laughs> do you know... <laughs> Oh, yeah. I, I will say, I, I've said this on the show a couple of times over the last, I don't know, four years that I've been on the show, but um, we actually relied on our on our, our plane spotters out at uh, Mildenhall, Lake and Heath. Uh, they were such a key, um, a, a key resource because it's such a small community that the plane spotters that would set up camp outside the gates... Uh, and particular Mildenhall on the north side, there's a, there was sort of a flatbed trailer, kind of a lorry. Yeah, John's Field. Yeah, there you go. See? Oh, you're more than... We <laughs> I've, I've been there. I've been yeah. there. So, you know, those, those spotters there also had the phone numbers and the contact information for the Ministry of Defense police force on the on RAF Mildenhall on Lake and Heath. And we actually... Um, rely on them quite a bit to tell us what doesn't look right, right? They can spot someone who doesn't belong there. And from a force protection standpoint for both our American and British forces on, on our RAF bases, it, uh, it was actually really important to us. So a lot of people would say, Oh man, that isn't that dangerous. Didn't that, wasn't that a bad thing to have these spotters always tracking you? And we actually said, no, we actually rely on them to, 
to almost be a, and, and the outermost layer of security for our bases over there in Europe. That, that was that incident you, Andy. a few months ago, I, I think, wasn't there, with that, um, I think Jonathan Warner will probably know about it. He's in the chat room where those spotters were at one of the bases here in the UK and they, they spotted an issue of one of the, uh, I think it was an F, was it an F-15 or an F-18 that was leaving Milden Hall or somewhere. And, and they, one of the spotters noticed an issue with one of the engines that had sort of flames coming from the... Yeah, I'm sure the pilot knew, but... Um, yeah, I think, the, they, I think they called... I think they called the the base and uh, the reported it and stuff. And I think they actually the flight crew actually came round. I think the next day or something and thanked the um, the spotters who who had who had spotted it. Yeah, you know, my first time at at Mildenhall was two thousand five to two thousand nine. Occasionally, I would stop at that. Uh, was it Johnsfield? Johnsfield, Andy. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, Johnsfield. So I would stop. I would just pull over. You know, in my car and I carried extra squadron patches. Um, I used to work in, at the time, it was the 352nd Special Operations Group. And every time we decided to change the thread color of our patches, <laughs> we, you know, I would end up with a 50 patches or so. And I would just stop and just talk to them and, and talk to you guys and, and hand you patches and shake hands. And a lot of times there was little kids there. And, you know, and I, I, I looked the part, right? I was in a green flight suit with a leather, a brown leather jacket and, and I could hand out, but you know me. I'm, Matt called me an Anglophile this this, uh, this week, so. several but, times. In fact, yeah. you know, I I think it's all about our our two countries are so close, anyways. That that was a just a the smallest thing that I could do if I had an an extra ten minutes, just go and walk up to that fence line and and go talk to to someone or especially yeah. kids and, and hand him a patch. Definitely, definitely, and it's something that you you don't forget either. I didn't forget. Yeah, it's good. Carlos, you've got one. Yeah, the uh, it's from FlyingMag.com, and um, here in the UK, we normally associate early warning aircraft with the AWACS having that large rotating uh, dish on top of the aircraft. But this is uh, all about Poland. Officials from Poland's armed forces were presented with the first two. Uh, Saab uh, 340 airborne warning, uh, early warning aircraft in a ceremony in Linköping in Sweden uh, on Friday last week. Uh, the surveillance aircraft, which were unveiled two months after an order was placed, will provide Poland's uh, with a national asset to reinforce territorial integrity and national security. The aircraft manufacturer said, now if Matt pops this picture up, I think we've got a picture of this aircraft with the show notes. That is an interesting addition to the aircraft as to say uh, poland is one of it's nine like countries girder on the roof <laughs> yes poland's one of nine countries uh, that has purchased the saab uh, aew uh, system for air surveillance the aircraft purchase comes as poland focuses on defense modernization last week the u.s signed a two billion dollar loan to support the effort as poland continues to boost its military in the wake of russia's february 2022 invasion of the ukraine now as like matt said that is an interesting attachment to the aircraft and i mean I can many, many could argue it would have the um aerobatic um what's the word i'm looking for or the aerodynamics of a brick 
Yeah, yeah, the aerodynamic properties of a house brick, essentially. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I always think when you see these things, I mean, I know the the the, um, the AWACS, the Century, is it the Century, the E3 Century here in the UK that has the big um, rotating dome on top? Always wondered when, you know, when you're in these aircraft that have these interesting attachments on, whether there is any kind of additional wind noise when you're when you're in these. Perhaps, perhaps Armando, you would uh, know or not? Uh, I don't know. I've never been on the AWACS. Uh, I've been on some uh, aircraft, some uh, s- smaller sort of twin-engine turboprop with all kinds of Frankenstein additions. But I, ha- I have to say, I- I'm loving uh, Richard Adams's comment in the chat room. There is saying, uh, "Looks like an Airfix model that's not been detached from the frames yet." <laughs> <laughs> that is actually quite very true. Very yeah. good. Very There'll good. probably be a speed limit on the airframe lower than the manu- the original airframe speed limit with all these bits added on. Yeah, <laughs> sure. like the um, the. The Beluga, obviously, that that has to fly at a lower speed than the original design because of all the additional bits added. So it's probably that's yeah. probably the only limit, really. I doubt there's any additional wind noise because it's quite far behind the flight deck, so that noise is behind you. True, true. Oh, uh, no. Short, shorty, challenging. Whether whether it's you know holes or no holes in the bricks, Matt. Um, yeah, <laughs> I love that uh, Andy just proved that he's a pilot. Because there's operators back there. He's like, I don't know. It's probably not that loud. You know, there's like people back there too. <laughs> yeah, behind that door. I'm not. I'm not bothered. What's behind there? Only That's the end of, just pilot behind pilot. me is the end of my world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. I have no interest going forward. Yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> I, I've been on both ends of it, right? So I was a I was a sensor operator uh, before I was up front. So. Um, speaking. Now, yeah, speaking of spotting, as he said earlier, that Andy loves aircraft spotting. This is a different sort of spotting for you, Andy. Uh, yes, yes, it is. This is from the BBC. Um, Morse military spying is conducted from satellites hundreds of miles above the Earth's surface, but there's a new entrant in the old game of keeping an eye on your strategic opponents, and this new spy is surprisingly sluggish. Phaser 35 moves so slowly it can appear to be going backwards. This weird elongated British aircraft is powered by small electric engines attached to elongated wings encasing solar panels. These capture power during the day and keep the two engines turning at night. Solar power is stored in packs of lithium batteries like foam batteries. Having so many batteries means some can fail during weeks of flight without any impact on endurance. With a 35 minute Meter wingspan, pencil thin carbon fuselage, and 150 kilogram all up weight, Phaser 35 looks a little flimsy. The wheels it rolls on to take off are abandoned on the ground, the machine landing slowly on its two engine pods and changing the bruised propellers after every flight. It resembles an arrow that has grown long, thin wings. That fragile appearance, more insect than aeroplane, is one clue as to why BAE Systems chose a US military range in New Mexico to test Phaser 35 in July this year. The normally benign climate in the southwest US gave the aircraft its best chance of climbing to 66,000 feet, twice the altitude of a commercial jet, not quite, without encountering strong winds that might tip the delicate machine over and dive it earthwards. Clamber to its stratospheric destination at a lazy 55 miles per hour, 
The machine can travel backwards in relation to the Earth if it hits winds or higher velocity as it noses up towards, sorry, upwards through weather systems. One of its rivals, the Zephyr solar-powered high-altitude aircraft, flew for up to 18 days during 2021 tests in Arizona. Zephyr was also built in the UK for Airbus, but a more ambitious flight lasting 64 days ended in a crash in July 2020 due to high-altitude air turbulence. One key attraction of such spying equipment is price. They cost a fraction of launching a satellite into space. Or you could use the Chinese method and just send up a balloon. Uh, also acceptable method. <laughs> is it though? <laughs> this thing doesn't even look like an airplane. It's crazy, huh? I just, I just love that picture with the two guys there with what looks like some some wheels off my push bike in the garage. <laughs> it looks like um, something I used to build as a small boy out of pram wheels and roll down a hill on it. Yeah. Yeah, they do look like bicycle wheels. There's, there's, they there's, are there's, bicycle wheels, whatever way you look at it. They're <laughs> and those uh, those two fellas have just come out from Halfords. Just uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. quick service. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that that's not going to keep the cost down if you've got two blokes from Halfords there. <laughs> yeah. Were you a, were you a, Maca- a lover of Meccano Nev back in very the much day? so? Yes, yeah. yeah, I enjoyed that a lot uh, back in the day. Yes. Yeah, this this uh, kind of. Luckily, bit bit metal and screws, yes. <laughs> I should have become an orthopaedic surgeon, shouldn't I, really? Well, quite. Yeah, you've got the dexterity. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, it's, it's I just, I don't know. It just looks like a, just looks very, as his story says, a bit flimsy. You know, a slight change of wind and it would probably fold over and drop from the sky. I mean, they have probably thought about that in their defence. <laughs> <laughs> I'd I'd much rather just have your your uh, UAV or drone, Matt. I think rather than this. <laughs> I mean, it can carry a camera, but I think that's about all it's capable yeah. of. Yeah. <laughs> but um, thank you uh, uh, for bringing us the military news this week, uh, Armando. As yes, always, thank, thank you to Andy also because I feel like we gave him all the stories with the hard words today. Yeah. 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 You did. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you did. Not on purpose, I promise. (laughs) Now, the competition uh, for the book, Nev, we've got an update on that, haven't we? Yes, what we're going to do is we're going to roll that over to next week um, due to some operational things that have happened. Um, So, yeah, we'll give you the answer to competition (laughs) next week. Well, basically, I haven't got my finger out. That's that's what's really happened. You've Um, you've been ill, Nev. We'll let you uh, off. Well, you know, I've been slightly under by the Yeah. Um, but no, I appreciate you guys uh, taking on some of the stories tonight as well, because I'm still not quite back to normal, I have to say. But uh, no, it's been uh, been uh, really good tonight. And uh, yeah, so next week we shall uh, come up with uh, the answer to last week's competition, or last time's competition, and we'll be setting a new competition for the following week. Yeah, we've still got loads of stuff to give away, including some... Uh some dvds as well aviation related dvds and, and some more books to give away as DVDs. Well. who's got a dvd player these days everyone's got a dvd player i haven't i don't have a dvd player no oh well <laughs> oh oh we've got some interesting noises there coming from uh, the us are you still there sorry we did like two spy stories and i think the nsa just yeah, yeah. us chat. Uh, <laughs> It just yeah. intercepted the stream. And yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so we're, uh, we're going to have a quick uh, Ryan Robin before we wrap up the show, but we'll obviously start with our with our two US hosts. Um, what so what what you got planned for the rest of uh, Matt's trip in the US, Armando? I haven't got a clue. 
Um, <laughs> right. I don't know that I've actually told Matt most of the plan, mostly because we okay, take Okay, moving on. <laughs> no, no, no. We, so first of all, we're going to Noda Brewing t- tonight. So, and I've talked about Noda Brewing. Todd Ford, the owner, he's a retired air cargo pilot, TC8 guy. Um, so we're going to go to Noda Brewing tonight. And then tomorrow is the fly-in uh, over at Laney's Air Park. Uh, Sunday, we didn't even talk about it, but we're going to go to the Renaissance Fair, which should be fun. And Monday, I'm taking Matt in the 206 up to the Norfolk, Virginia area. And we're going to go spend the day with the uh, the biplane that day. And then we'll come back for dinner where he's going to prepare a nice beef wellington for us. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, the uh, Matt has the picture that he's posted up there. Um, as you can see in that picture, the current situation, he's got um, the seller had a, just a handheld ICOM radio in there. And I put a Trig uh, VHF comm in there with associated antennas, as well as a Trig um, ADSB uh, compliant transponder. Um, so the seller is, believe it or not, doing all of that free of charge for me. Um, so uh, I'm going to take Matt up there and we're just going to spend the day. And like Tuesday, unfortunately, we've got no plans on purpose because that evening he flies home. Yeah. Mm. So, Matt, do you have any add-ons to that? I, I, I mean, it's just been the most insane week. It's been lovely to spend time um, here, obviously, and sort of spending time with Amondo's family. It's just been lovely. I've been very warmly welcomed um, and uh, just loving the food. Oh, and look out. <laughs> Somebody standing behind me. Uh, <laughs> there we go. There you go. No, it's good. It's good that you're having a good time. It's nice to see yeah. you relaxing, Matt, and having some time away from uh, from a, a, a certain uh, hectic lifestyle that you lead with a radio station. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's been it's been busy there as as Carlos knows. We we were hit with a small piece of bad news just before I left, so that made uh, just before coming out here a little bit challenging to say the least. Um, but yeah, that's sort of under control and stuff. And I, I am going to have to hit the ground running when I get back. But uh, yeah, I'm sort of putting that to one side at the moment, as I say. And I mean, only been here a short time already and had some genuinely life changing experiences already. So, awesome. Yeah, yeah good, don't worry good. about that. You're on VK. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so now Americans say, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm trying to educate where possible. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I was telling APG off for uh, spellings in their notes and everything. Uh, oh, I mean, the, the Americans have destroyed the English language, <laughs> but we won't get into that now. Sorry, no, no. controversial. <laughs> Hold on. anyway before we get shut down nev what are you up to next week are you is there any flying on the cards for you nev because there is yes uh thursday friday next week off to edinburgh uh got some meetings up there uh early starts on both the flights actually so uh, we'll see how ba manage their boarding uh procedures and i should be wagging my finger at anyone that doesn't do it properly um and then um yes so but hopefully we, well it'd be nice to have some good weather we've got sort of 26 degrees promised uh here in the south uh this uh, the next couple of days not be, won't be quite as warm as that up north but um, no it'd be, be nice to get up to uh, scotland once again you know we look forward to the uh reviews nev for your flight when you get back yes 
And uh, who should we go through next? Andy, Andy, Mr. Wilson, what are you up to next week? Any um, flying yes. for you? Well, I'm not flying till Friday. I'm off to Corfu on Friday morning. Ooh. Um But between then and now, I'm basically on days off. And as Nevis alluded to, it's going to be 20 degrees up here this week, which is balmy for October. So as a publican and landlord, I'm going to do some maintenance on the premises here. And I need to repaint the outside of it, as boring as that is. So I'll be uh, out early doors with my sander, sanding it down and repainting it. So it's not not much aviation until I go off to uh, the Greek islands on Friday. Yeah. And uh, Nick, what's going on in the world of Nick next week? Any uh, any biking? Um, well, I'm going to take the hovercraft over to the Isle of Wight tomorrow, going to see my son. Ooh. And instead of motorbiking, we're going to take a little bicycle ride. So we're going to ride over to Benbridge Airport and go and watch the GA over there. So that'll be quite nice. Oh, that sounds is, very is good indeed. Old aviation. Sorry, say again, Matt. Is, is he into the old aviation or are you just forcing him again? He he seems to have developed my affliction for um, looking at Flight Radar 24 every time a plane goes over. Sterling work, sir. Yes. yes. <laughs> Bembridge is a great little field as well. I used to fly into there in uh, Twinstar, but you couldn't stop. You could only do touch and go. The room it wasn't long, long enough to take off again. So it's just touch, go, get out. Yeah, it's got a bit of a sort of, got a bit of a crest to the runway. Um, but there yeah. is a very nice pub next door, so they do. There's there's a fence at one end as well that you've got to do your best to avoid. Yeah, as well if quite you're a big, a bit big hedge there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a nice spot, and you get quite a lot of uh, GA stuff coming in. Last time we were there, there was a plane that had come over from France, um, so that flown what... over for a pub lunch. Yeah, because there's a pub right next door. I don't know if you know that is technically the headquarters of Britain Norman as well. Yes. Yeah. Well, we. Um, we were sort of technically trespassing on their property last time we were there because we were trying to get a better vantage point for, for watching the planes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm going to say a big thanks to uh, uh, Captain Al because I know he's uh, he's going to listen to the show. But uh, Al, whilst I was away uh, over in, uh, well, not so sunny uh, Wales um, a f- oh, the week before last, actually, uh, Al actually said about going to a calf. Uh, an airfield at Welshpool. And I will just say that was a fantastic point fare from Al because the food was brilliant. Um, I have you flown into there before, Andy? Sort of Welshpool, Midways, Midwales Airport? Um, no, I, I stay away from Wales. Ah, was I'm, not allowed, I'm not Very allowed nice. in. That's passport territory, right? Passport territory, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, hopefully we're fingers crossed. Gonna uh, hopefully we're gonna get Captain Al back on the show soon as well. So we got, uh, we've got that uh, hopefully coming very soon. But uh, yeah, thanks everyone for all the hard work this evening. Thanks as well to all our listeners in the world of YouTube. All the usual family members in there joining in on the chat tonight. But don't forget our social media. We're on uh, YouTube. Just search for Plain Talking UK. Uh, we're on there. Don't forget to subscribe as well if you see us on there. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're all on there. Just search for Plain Talking UK. It's as easy as that. Our WhatsApp number. If you want to send a picture like John Jester did and get it on the green screen behind me here, it's plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. If you want to send an 
in some feedback. We'd love to hear from you on the show. It's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. And also our website, all the w's.plaintalkinguk.com is where you'll find more info on us as a team. And also uh, you'll find the links to our shop where you can purchase yourself a very nice PTUK mug and the military version as well. Just point that out there as well, the military version plus the t-shirts as well which you can get yourself uh, one of those of as well if you fancy a t-shirt they look stunningly gorgeous if you have one on and uh, also you'll find links on our website if you want to become a patreon of the show uh of the and uh, donate to the show we appreciate that as well it helps to push the show along and uh, and sort of you know helps to get us out to the air shows that we've worked some great content from over the last few months so uh, thanks to everyone who donates. Anyway, that's where we're going to bring the show to a close, episode 474. Have a great weekend, whatever you're up to, and we'll see you next Friday on the show. And have a safe flight home, Matt. Look forward to seeing you next week. So take care, everyone. And from us here in all our various studios over the world, say goodbye, everyone. See you. Bye, everyone. everyone. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>